This is a Global Missions, Inc. podcast. Today's episode is titled, The Kingdom of God. My name is Andy Snoke, and I will be speaking today. This message was taken out of a message that was given in Omaha, Nebraska in September of 2019. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please email us at info at globalmissionsinc.org. I want to turn to Revelation 18, and to give you a warning, we're going to, we're going to read some scriptures tonight. You know, when you minister by the Spirit, when you minister in what we're familiar with, you minister entirely different than you do anywhere else. Um, other places you're taught to know what you're talking about, number one, <laughs> and have an introduction, and then the message, and then a closing remark. But many times when you're ministering by the Spirit, you don't really completely know what you're talking about. Now, I don't mean that funny. You just have shadows of what the Lord wants to bring. And then you look to the Lord to fill in all the blank spots. And many of our messages are not neat and clean with an introduction and a message and a conclusion to it. Sometimes, most of the time, the Lord just does not give that to you. He just, there's a lot of things that He has to fill in. And the message that I'm going to start with, and I'm going to say that, start because the thing that I want to share chronologically will cover over 1,000 years of human history. That's a lot to teach in one night, over 1,000 years. And I don't want you getting too weary, so if we run out of time, I won't take a lot of time, I'll just quit. I'll just stop. I won't have a fancy conclusion. But I've been so intrigued about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We all talk about it. We all talk about it. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We've learned that prayer since we were little kids and we pray. Thy kingdom come. We read where Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. We talk about kingdom truth. We talk about the kingdom. Kingdom this, kingdom that. Thy kingdom come. What are we talking about when we talk about His kingdom coming? There is, I'd like to submit to you, there is a literal kingdom of God coming to the face of the earth. Yeah, amen. I, I submit to you, according to the Bible, everything you can see and touch will pass away. The kingdoms of men will, there'll be a definite point in time when the kingdoms and the governments of men will come to a stop and there will be the kingdom of God ushered on the face of the earth. And that kingdom, it appears, that kingdom initially is literally 1,000 years long. 
That's not very long. We say, yeah, that's a long time. When you only live to be a hundred, it's a long time. A thousand years is not very long. But then there is something that God is going to do after the thousand year kingdom of God. There are eternities beyond eternity. It's hard for us to imagine these things. And I'm getting way ahead of myself. But God is going to change the natural arrangement of the entire universe after a thousand year period and usher in literally a new heavens and a new earth. I'm jumping way ahead here and I'm going to back up. Why would God need to do that? Why would he need a new heavens and a new earth someday? That's because everything you see, everything you touch, everything about the universe is under the law of sin and death. Everything in the universe dies. Everything. You and I die. We know that. If, if our earth could last another, I was going to say millions of years, but I read recently our earth is going to come to an end in 12 years. Anybody hear that? But anyway, if it goes beyond the 12 years and it lasts for several more millions of years, I don't know how many more millions and millions of years, eventually our sun is burning out and it will become a, a what do you call those black holes and, and, and uh, it will suck, uh, the gravity will suck everything, even light into the center of it, and there will be no human life anywhere. Okay, because everything is under the law of sin and death. Everything dies, the law of entropy. And you'll find, and getting way ahead of myself here, in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus talked about the resurrection. I won't turn to it now. But he made this interesting statement. Paul said this. The last enemy to be destroyed, the very last enemy that God is going to destroy, is death. And you're going to find, if we even get that far, that isn't until after the thousand year period of the kingdom of God even, that he destroys even death. And when death is destroyed, he has a new heavens and a new earth that will not wear out. These are these concepts that we're just going to touch on tonight are so beyond us. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to just grasp it. I'll give you another thing here. If you are a child of God tonight, if you are walking with God, this is something you can't comprehend. You'll never die. Your body will die. Your body will go to the grave. But your spirit will go on to be with God in the kingdom of God and even beyond that. But there are millions, there are millions that will die a physical death and a spiritual death. How's that old saying go? If you're, if you're born twice, you only die one time. You're born in the flesh, and then you're born by the Spirit. If you've done that, you've been born twice, born again, you only die one time, your body. But if you've only been born once, you were never born again, you got to die twice. You die a physical death, and you die a spiritual death. And even though we read and we talk about and we believe in the great restoration, the plan that God has, if we get that far, you're going to find in Revelation when it has a new heavens and a new earth, there are still multitudes of people locked out. I want to encourage you tonight to make absolutely sure you know where you belong. 
that you belong on the inside of the kingdom of God, not on the outside looking in. The days are dark. The days are important. Uh, I was talking to Darren Olson here (coughs) before the meeting, and he said at the last minute he put a scripture on our bulletin, very appropriate with what was on my heart. It's from Romans, the 13th chapter. This is the Amplified Version, the Amplified Bible. You say, what is that? When I started losing my hearing, I had to get the Amplified Bible. (laughs) I'll just throw that in there for free. Well, this is the Amplified Version. And I, I like this. It says, do this, knowing that this is a critical time. It is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep of spiritual complacency. For our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed in Christ. The night, which means this present evil age, is almost gone. And the day of Christ's return is almost here. So let us fling away the works of darkness and put on the full armor of light, Romans 13:11 through 12. Amen. And that's a good thing for this weekend. Yes. The night is far spent. Mm-hmm. If you've never been serious in your life, get serious. Yeah. And I'll put it this way. Like your life depended on it. Why? Because your life depends on it. Yeah. Your eternity depends on it. Your standing with God depends on it. The 18th chapter Revelation... The thousand-year period that Jesus talks about when we pray thy kingdom come is, is actually in the 20th chapter of Revelation, and Lord willing, we'll get to that. One chapter because covers a thousand years. But in preparation before we get that, get to that chapter, we'll start with the 18th chapter here. And this is where we're just going to kind of look at some thoughts, some things that the Lord is suggesting to us. When you read the book of Revelation... And even teach on it, it's hard to explain it like you know what you're talking about. Because there's so, there's so much of it that is still a mystery to, to us. There's just little pieces that stick out. The 18th chapter, this is beginning when there's a tribulation period on earth. A horrible tribulation period is coming. Coming to the face of the earth. There will be tremendous persecution there is a, there's an antichrist and there's a false prophet and we don't know who that is, what that means for sure. We're not, we're not going to worry about that. We don't know what that means. But let's just touch in a couple of verses here. And think of it this way. The verses that we're going to read in the 18th chapter is in preparation, a prelude of the kingdom of God coming and Christ returning to the earth. Christ returning to the earth. He said he would return. The Bible is full of scriptures that talks about his return to the earth. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every clean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of a luxury. I'll stop right there for just a minute. He's talking about Babylon falling. 
Now, we don't really know what this Babylon is. There was literally a Babylon over in Iraq uh, in, in the Old Testament. And there's a spiritual Babylon, and there's a physical Babylon, and there's a commercial Babylon, if you will. Yeah. And he's speaking of a day when all the things, this Babylonian empire that, quite frankly, we all live in, yeah. will come to a collapse. Yeah. Now, I don't even fully understand what I'm reading here, because I'll tell you why. To a degree, and maybe to a large degree, you and I live in Babylon. We belong, if you will, how do I say it? We use the systems of the world, the Babylon of the world, but yet we don't belong to the world. You know, you got an IRA, you got a 401k program, you got health insurance, you got you got this program, you got social security, you got all of these programs and the Babylon of the world, and I'm not saying any of that is wrong. But someday, all of that will collapse. All of it will collapse. And in fact, when we get into the book of Revelation, you'll find that it comes to a point, and we don't know, we don't know what this means, that, that you can't even buy or sell with cash anymore. You've got to have this, this mark on your right hand or your forehead, and I have no idea what that means. I'm not trying to read into that. But Babylon, everything that you and I trust right now, everything that the world trusts, in preparation for the kingdom of God, right before the kingdom of God, chapter 20, we're in verse chapter 18 here, Babylon comes to an end. It comes to an end. But here's a verse that got me. Verse 4 now. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. He begins to speak to the church, and I don't fully understand it. Don't be a part of Babylon. Be separated. Live differently for the Lord. And I think that means, as it's been taught throughout the Scriptures, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the middle of it, but we don't belong to it. And he talks about the day. He's saying, don't put your trust in Babylon. Do all the things you need to do, but don't let that be your confidence and your trust. Remember that story of the rich man in the book of Luke? Luke, he was very prosperous and had all these barns. He had more money and grain than what he knew what to do with. So he said this. He said, you know what, soul? He's speaking to himself. He didn't know the Lord. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull down our barns. We're going to build brand new ones. We're going to make them twice as big. And then we're going, to, we're going to double our profits. We're going to fill those up. And then we're going to sit back and be merry. Retire, so to speak. Nothing wrong with retiring. But God said, so is the ones that are rich in the world, but they're not rich with heavenly things. And the Lord said, you fool. Don't you know that this very night your soul is required of you? And then, then who do these things belong to? And then he talks about, so is he that's not rich with heavenly things or rich with earthly things. Nothing wrong with being rich with earthly things. But more importantly, be rich with heavenly things. Because Babylon is going to come to an end. And he talks about, I'll skip down to verse 8. He gives a story. He says, therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Uh, verse 10, standing at the distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas. That great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for one hour your judgment has come. And then it talks about the merchants of the city, of the cities crying and so forth. 
and uh, talks about this coming to an end, falling in one day, all in one day, how all of these things happen so quickly. Babylon, when it happens, is going to fall quickly. And it was interesting when he said that, it would fall in a day. What's interesting about that, Babylon, again, which is in Iraq, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel had this, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision and Daniel interpreted it. And he, and he, he only saw four kingdoms of the world, of the earth. Four human king, four world dominating kingdoms, and then he saw the kingdom of God. He saw, he saw Babylon, which is Nebuchadnezzar. Then he saw the Medes and the Persians. That kingdom came and filled the entire earth. Then he saw the Greeks came, and then he saw the Romans. Then he saw the two legs, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire. Then he saw the ten toes, the same Roman Empire broken up into ten. And then he saw the kingdom of God. You know how many of those kingdoms have come? All of them! Except for, no one really knows what the ten toes mean, and, and, and my, the purpose of this message is not try to believe that. But he saw all the kings of the earth come and go, and then the kingdom of God came and filled up the whole earth. Now here's what's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, he dies, has some trials, and then there's a few people below him. I forgot that this guy was, a, he's related to him. It's not really his son. They called him his son, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, you remember the story, he had all these gold and silver instruments from the temple that he'd taken from Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar did. Belshazzar one night, he brings them all out and has his wife and concubines and, and had, throws a great big party and they bring out these golden instruments that were used for worship and he's belittling them and playing with them and showing no respect to God. I want to tell you something. You want to respect God. Amen. You want to respect God. The worst thing you could do on the face of the earth is don't show is to show no respect to the Lord. So Belshazzar, he's got all these things out and they're drinking their wine and then they start going one step further and then they start praising the, the God of silver and the God of gold and all of these things. And then he sees this writing on the wall. You've heard that term. People use it in business all the time. Have you seen the writing on the wall? You ever heard that before? That's from, from the book of Daniel. This guy saw something on the wall. Meeny, meeny, tekel, parson, something like that. And it says his knees start knocking. His knees are knocking. He's scared to death. He said, is there anybody that can interpret it? And long story short, yeah, we know this guy named Daniel. He can interpret it. Bring him out here. Daniel comes out. He says, I'll tell you what, Daniel... I will give you gold. I will give you silver. I will give you mansions. I will give you a position of authority. I'll give you everything if you can just translate what this says on the wall. A man's finger wrote it. I don't know what it means. I'm scared to death. Daniel said, you take your gold. You take your silver. Let it rot with you. I don't, I don't get paid for serving my God. I don't charge. My services are free. But this is what happened. He said, Belshazzar... Your, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he was, he, was a, he was a mean dude. He had some problems. He was arrogant. And the God may turn him into an animal and then restored him. And he recognized that God was God and would give his kingdom to whoever he wanted to. He was that kingdom, that head of gold in that vision. But he said, you haven't done that. You brought the gold and the silver and put wine in it and started worshiping the God of gold and silver. You showed God absolutely no respect whatsoever. So this is what God is saying. This is what the meaning of those words are. You have been found in the balance. You know, they used to use those weights and you balance things. And you're lacking. You're wanting. You're not, you're not measuring up. 
and your kingdom is about to be taken away from you. Babylon. He was in Babylon. That night, that very night, the king of the Medes and the Persians had diverted the Euphrates River, invaded and killed him that night. And that night, that image went from Babylon to the Medes and Persians. That kingdom was changed in an hour. Point I'm getting at, it happened in the past. It's going to happen in the future. When God is ready to do something, takes Him a long time to get ready, and then boom, it's done. Just like that. Like a woman laboring in pain. And the day is going to come when sons of God are going to be born. Mm -hmm. Sons of God will be born. After these things, verse 19 now, chapter 19, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot Babylon, who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her blood the blood of His servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia, or Hallelujah. Just one little interesting side note, the word Hallelujah here, this particular transliteration of the word Hallelujah is only mentioned four times in the entire New Testament, and it's the four times is right here in the verses we just read. And it means, this particular translation of Hallelujah, it means Praises for God's deliverance of His people from their enemies. Praises for God meeting out justice. Praises for God's permanent crushing of man's rebellion. Praises of God's sovereignty. Praises of God's communion and with His people. But we're beginning to get a word of praise here. Hallelujah. God is beginning to pull things together. And I find it interesting, another mysterious verse there in verse 4 that I just read. This, this verse is kind of repeated several places in the book of Revelation. Again, these things are just little hints, types, and shadows of a kingdom message. Verse 4, And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Twenty-four elders. There, there's the elders in heaven again. There's the elders in the kingdom of God. I, I know I've said that before, but I'm just amazed by this. We have elders. Why do we have elders? We have elders all over the earth. Wherever we establish churches, wherever the Lord establishes churches, we look for God to raise up elders in that church. This order, and a lot, you know, a lot of other people will look at you and think you're silly because you have elders. And yet, yet here we are in the, in the kingdom of God, and we got elders again. There's the elders. Amen. He's whispering. He's hinting how important the ministry of an elder is. It's a kingdom uh, order, if you will. There they are in the kingdom of heaven. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitudes, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of the mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And now here's another important verse and we might get bogged down here just a little bit here. This is another key verse that the Lord seems to be highlighting. 
for our day. Let us be glad. And keep in mind now, we're in the 19th chapter. This is right before the kingdom of God, before the thousand years are set up. So there are things that he's still talking about is in preparation for that kingdom to be ushered in quickly. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. He begins to talk about the marriage to the Lamb. The marriage or the wife representing the bride of Christ married to the Lamb of God. The marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I'll read verse 9. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'll say it again. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The first question I'm going to ask, and don't answer this, this is a... A rhetorical question, I guess. Have you been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Has God called you to that? It's something vitally important, being joined to Christ. And let me read just a couple things to you quickly. And I'll just read this from my notes here. Matthew 25 is this mysterious parable. Uh, Brother David has ministered on this. I think he wrote an article on it once. And I've read it many times, and I still struggle with this mysterious parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. I'll read it quickly. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, so here's here's the picture. Here's ten people. Ten virgins, it says here, representing purity. All ten of them are looking for the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? It's Christ. This is not a parable of Christians and non-Christians, of Christians and worldly people. All ten are looking for the return of Christ. All ten are virgins. This is so puzzling. But then he goes... The five are foolish and five, five are wise and five are foolish. Why? How do we know that? Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Jesus is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. All of them did. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Strange parable. Speaking of 
Ten people all looking for the return of the Lord, but five were foolish. They didn't have any, they didn't have any oil. And he actually shuts the door to them. Now that didn't mean that he said, okay, uh, these five are going to heaven and these five are going to hell. And I do want to remind us, because we never talk about this. Hell is real. And you don't want to go there. It's real. And it's a long time. A long time. And we don't want anybody to go there. We should be burdened for souls. Because we don't want anybody spending one minute in hell, let alone ages in hell. But in this particular verse, he's not talking about, okay, all ten were looking for the coming of the Lord, but I'm going to take five and put them in hell and five in heaven. That's not, not what he means. But he's talking about there's a special place in my kingdom that I reserve for those that have oil in their lamps. Yeah. Oil is the oil of the Holy Spirit. It's the preparation of the Holy Spirit. It's being watchful for the coming of the Lord. If you're lazy, you don't have any oil in your lamp. If you're watchful, your batteries are charged and you're ready to do the work of the Lord. I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about those that have prepared themselves. How How can I even be more practical than that? Those that have spent time seeking God and praying and asking God for revelation and going to the camps just in case they can hear something that kind of gives them a a hint of what's to come. Whatever it may be. Preparation. Oil in their lamps. Those that are called to the marriage feast, they have oil in their lamps. In preparation to enter the kingdom of God, they have prepared themselves by putting oil in their lamps. Um... I'm a flashlight nut. <laughs> I like pocket knives and flashlights. You know, every guy likes pocket knives and flashlights. I get tired of buying batteries, so I bought this rechargeable flashlight. And you have to plug it in and charge it up, and it'll last for several hours. So when I came here, as silly as it may sound, I got out my flashlight and I charged it up. So if I needed my flashlight, if the power went out, I wouldn't have to plug it in and charge it up. It's already charged. I'm ready. I'm ready for a power failure. I'm prepared. Because I charged it purposely. I charged it up. Not knowing if there would be a power failure tonight or not. But I'm prepared. Jesus is looking for those that have oil in their lamp so that when He comes, they're prepared. They're prepared to step right in to whatever it is that He has for them. Preparation. You know, being sloppy spiritually, being lazy spiritually, it's not going to cost you your salvation, but it can cost you the kingdom of God. And maybe we'll get to that. Maybe not. Being spiritually unprepared, not having oil in your lamps, won't cost you your salvation. Now, let's back up just a minute. Our brains are so finite, we think of heaven as this one room that we all go to and everybody gets the same reward. Thousand bucks, thousand bucks, whatever it is. That's what heaven is like. 
Even it says in First Corinthians 15, there's a glory of the, how's it say, the terrestrial, a terrestrial and one, one star difference in glory from another star. There are different levels of glory, different levels of reward, even in the heavenly realm. First Corinthians, the third chapter, talks about our faith is built on Christ and, and talks about how your faith, your works is tested and some, some have built on that foundation with gold and silver and precious stones and others with wood, hay and stubble and the fire come, it'll test every man's work and it says some, I'll put it in my words, some will be saved but almost, but as by fire actually says that. And th- this is, this is what that means to me. Those that are spiritually lazy, those that are spiritually, uh, negligent to walk with God, those that have not put oil in their lamp, they're still going to get into heaven. Praise the name of the Lord for that. But it's like a man who escapes a burning house. He's saved, but he lost everything. The house burnt down. And that's not what I want. When I go to heaven, I tell you what, I don't have a lot of riches on earth. But I've been trying to bank some riches in that place where they won't wear out. Amen. And where they're multiplied. And they're built up. And it takes work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work. In that heavenly realm, there are great rewards for all eternity. Now, another warning to you, Luke 14, verse 16. And then he said to him, he said, A certain man gave a great supper. This is Jesus. And he invited many. This is the Lord inviting you and me. And he sent a servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Every one of you, the Lord's coming along and He gave you a ticket. What are those? What those little? What's, what is that? That RSVP, whatever they put them on, put on them. You know, are you? You're invited to my my marriage, my wedding. Are you going to come? He gives you an invitation, and He sent His servant out at supper time to say to those who are invited, "Come, for all things are now ready. The wedding's ready." But the all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have fought five, bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were here who were invited shall taste my supper. talks about an invitation to be part of the kingdom of God. And he gives an example of that happening in this particular story I read read to you. And how these people made excuses not to be part of the kingdom of God. Not to walk in the way, in the calling, in the way that he called them to walk in. He all made excuses. And he actually gets angry. And he gets angry and says, the door is shut. The door is shut. Just like he said to the five wise virgins there, which is almost scary to read it. The door is shut. He tells them, sorry, the door shuts. Too late. You can't come in. There's no room for you. The hour, the moment of opportunity is now. 
You know, when I read, and it's about the about at the beginning of the twenty first chapter, if we ever get there, it almost seems like God is like this. There's a door open, wide open to every one of us right now. Wide open. Tomorrow's wide open. Next year's wide open. But there's a point in time the door is shut. And you can't open it. The door's open now. Now is the day of your salvation. The door to enter into the kingdom and be forgiven, obedient, and to walk right is today. There is a time down the road. That's when he talks about he that's righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that's wicked, let him be wicked still. We'll read that later maybe. He's talking about a day when, okay, the door is now shut. It is shut now. And you can't change his mind. It comes to an end. The day of grace comes to an end, if you will, in that sense. So the marriage supper of the Lamb is open now in preparation for entering the kingdom of God. Verse 9, as we read, and he said, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy. Verse 11. Now we're reading some verses that that appears to speak of the second coming of Christ. And we're not going to worry about all the things that we don't understand, but I saw heavens open, behold a white horse, and he who sat in him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, for he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a, with a robe dipped in blood, his name is called the Word of God, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, they followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty, and he he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, when Jesus came the first time, we have this cute nativity scene we all look at at Christmas time, and we sing the old little town of Bethlehem, and and, and it's, 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 it's precious and sweet. He came to Bethlehem and put him in a manger. Like no one in Bethlehem knew that he was even born except for a few shepherds. Here's a king of kings born as a babe laid in that shepherd. No one knew about it. That was the first time he came. The second time he comes, everybody would know about it. He's coming right in on a horse. And they're going to strike the nations with a sharp sword. The Bible of the Revelation talks about every eye shall see him, and those that have pierced him shall see him. You know, when he comes the second time, it's not a baby in the manger. We go on to read verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. We won't read all of this as much as not known about this. This is talk about the great, uh, the great destruction, the great tribulation, and Jesus returning. Now, chapter 20. 
Now we're entering into an important chapter. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bounding for a thousand years. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, one of the things we're praying for is for chapter 20, a literal time period when His kingdom will be set up on earth. No one, There'll be no democracy. We won't vote for people. He'll be king of kings. Yes, thank you. That's a telemarketer trying to <laughs> sell me something on my, my iPhone. So, anyway. So, that really threw me, so i got to start all over now. <laughs> okay, I'd like to start off with some jokes that I've been collecting. Uh, I'd like to talk about the five things that women say, the five deadly... Is that too far back? Okay, that's too far back. All right. So we pray for his kingdom to come. And he saw an angel coming out of heaven with a, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, cast him to a bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished, but after these things he must be released for a little while. For a thousand years now, Satan is bound. Is bound. He can no longer tempt anybody. Nobody is tempted. There's no temptation because there's no tempter. The tempter is bound for a thousand years. We'll find, remember we said that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You'll find in about Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, talks about a child shall die a hundred years. It's talking about the kingdom of God. And what that to me means in the kingdom of God, if someone is a hundred years old and they die, You'll say, or they will die, some will, at a hundred. You'll say, oh, he was just a child in the kingdom of God. Because life, even the laws of nature, are changed. And people live long lives. And uh, you're, you're, not, you're not fighting, uh, you don't have Monsanto anymore trying to give you a roundup to kill, uh, to, to kill weeds and so forth. The laws of nature change. You plant something and boom, it grows up, you know, quickly. And... Uh, Everything has changed for a thousand years. Satan is bound for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, he's going to be turned loose again. We'll read about that in a minute. And then I saw thrones. Okay, verse 4. Another, another key and mysterious verse. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. I'll just stop right there a minute. Strange verse. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Who is he talking about there? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, I'll read it to you. Paul said, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Somehow, someway, I have no idea how this works. God will have saints in the kingdom of God judging the world. Paul said that. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be, will be judged by you, are you not unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Talks about this in the kingdom of God. Talks about how Christ rules and reigns with His church in the kingdom of God. There's several scriptures 
to talk about that. Revelation 5.10. He has made unto us king. Uh, he has made unto our God. He's made us kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Reign on the earth. Think about that. These things I'm sharing are just, they're huge. He didn't say we shall just live on the earth. He's just talking about in the kingdom of God, He'll make us kings and priests, the overcomers, those that have oil in their lamps, and we shall reign on the earth. You'll sit on thrones and judge. I don't know how that works. That's a work that He is calling the church to. The work, that God is calling the church to, you and I, is far beyond what we're doing right now. The calling that God has given you is an eternal calling. It's beyond anything that you can see or do right now. I was looking for a verse here. But you know, God spoke to Daniel in the 12th chapter, and at the end of it, Daniel wanted to ask if he could see more things, and the Lord said, no, it's, I'm paraphrasing it here. That these these things I, I can't show you anymore, Daniel. I've showed you some pretty heavy duty truths here, Revelation, but I want you to understand this. You're gonna rest. That means you're gonna die. But don't worry, Daniel, at the end of the days, you're gonna be standing I'm gonna put it my words, in the kingdom of God, in that thousand year period in Revelation the twentieth chapter, and Daniel, don't worry, I'm not done with you you got a job to do in the kingdom of God. Amen. In the meantime, you rest up, brother, because I've got some work for you to do. That's what God is saying. When you walk faithfully with God, God will reward you right now in the here and now. But far beyond that, He's got a job for you to do. He's got a work for you to do in the kingdom of God. His kingdom will be established Above all the hills and all the mountains, this holy mountain. And God has a work for you and I to do. I'm skipping a lot of verses here, talking about the kingdom of God. A wonderful day. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, who had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There's a first resurrection. I remember Brother Olson uh, used to always talk about the first resurrection. <laughs> used to always make reference to that. He would just reference it. The first resurrection. We want to be a part of the first resurrection. God is calling people to be a part of the first resurrection. I don't even fully understand what that means. But as he said here, over the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with Him a thousand years. There's work in the kingdom. At the end of the thousand years, now, verse 7, and now when the thousand years have expired, Satan be, will be released from prison. So what are some of the things that's been happening for a thousand years? For one thing, people are having a whole bunch of kids. <laughs> people are growing up in the kingdom of God. That, uh, th there's joy, there's peace, there's very little death. 
There's no temptation. Families are growing. I don't know by I don't know by by how much, but the world is becoming full of people that live during the kingdom. And when the thousand years have expired, Satan be, will be released from his prison. But one thing that hasn't happened, they've never been tested. They've never resisted temptation because they've never been tempted. You and I have become stronger because we resist temptation. It's, it's like stair steps. We've, re, we've become hardened. We've become strengthened because we have resisted temptation. Now we have a world after a thousand years that has not released, uh, not resisted temptation. There's been no temptation, and they're weak, and they're puny, and then and temptation will come in, and many will walk away from the Lord. And we will, verse eight, and we'll go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. His number is as as the sand of the sea. Just a, an interesting side note. Sometimes someone may say. So-and-so didn't live a Christian life. They didn't walk with the Lord. But it's not their fault. It's because of the environment they came out of. And I do realize your environment has an effect. Well, someone will say they came from this bad environment, a bad mom, a bad dad, whatever. So that's why they never came to know the Lord, because of their environment. And and I am sympathetic for those that that didn't have a good environment. But here we read the best possible environment in the in the history of mankind. A thousand years with no temptation where Christ is all in all and we still have multitudes of people that are not walking with God when temptation comes. Temptation comes and, and Satan influences, influences the nations to deceive them which are on the four corners of the earth to gather them together to battle whose number is the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people that were reproduced during the kingdom of, kingdom of God. They went up on the breadth of the earth, verse 9, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and He devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now we're closing, getting to the end of the thousand years. And then I heard a great white, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were open. Nobody can escape disappointment standing before God. Nobody. Every one of us will stand in front of God and give an account. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. Every single human being, great and small, will stand before God and the books will be open and another book will be open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And there were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the, into the lake of fire. One book, and then there's books. One book is a book of life. You and I need to make sure our names are written in the book of life. Help your children to write their name in the book of life. Help your family 
to write their names in the book of life. Help your neighbors to write their name in the book of life. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You will stand before God and you will give an account. And He will find out if your name is in the book of life or if it's in the book of books that records all of your sins. If it's in the book of life, all your sins are forgiven. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We can't escape God. We can't escape Him. And now, verse chapter 21, we've now covered over a thousand years. And it's only nine o'clock. Just a couple more minutes here. So I think we've done well over a thousand years. A couple good jokes to start with. A thousand years of history. So we're moving right along. And now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and also there's no more sea. Because you see what just happened? He cast Satan and death and hell and the last enemy. He just destroyed it. The last enemy to ever be destroyed is now destroyed in the last verse of chapter 20. And now the law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, the law of nature, everything is changed now. Nothing dies anymore. Nothing. So because of that, he has to create a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. There's even no more sea. And I want to read you a short verse. I'm going to throw it in here. I'll just read it to you quickly. Second Peter 3, 7 says this, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter saw the same thing. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, this, listen to this, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, He's saying because God is going to destroy everything you see, what kind of a person should we be? We should be living for eternity. We should be living for the things that count. Verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He's talking about the marriage now. The bride adorned and prepared for her husband. The last marriage. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. You know, you look at the Old Testament and they had the temple, uh, they had the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and they had the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant, and the temple was so important, uh, and, and then it was destroyed in 70 A.D., as Jesus said it would be, but the temple was so important to the worship of, of God, and now he says, that temple, it, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and He will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and there shall be no more death. See, now it's over. There'll be no more death ever, 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 nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I was thinking one day, silly thoughts, because we can't even comprehend what this is going to be like. All the people that will be unemployed during this time period, doctors, (laughs) dentists, uh, funeral directors, you know, chiropractors. Uh, what's that? Locksmiths. Locksmiths. People who make keys and locks. Locks. Oh, locksmiths. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Everyone will be free. But you think of this. I mean, everything has changed. God will wake up, wipe away every tear from eyes. Then he, then he who sat in the throne said, "Behold, here it is again. I'm making all things new now." Everything is new. And he said, write for me these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. If you ever think of this, uh, Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. John, the first chapter, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The beginning, the beginning, the beginning, the beginning. You think of all of that. The beginning. What are the beginning of what? There was a time when there was a... I don't know how this works. There was eternity. And then God said, I'm going to create time for a short period of time. He actually created time. Time is a created thing that He created. God doesn't live in time. And then we go through all of these years and then He comes to a point where we're back into eternity. It's kind of kind of bizarre when you think of it. God doesn't live in time. He doesn't live in time. I'll throw this verse at you real quick because I think it's interesting. They're talking to Jesus. And they said, you're not even 50 years old and you're talking about your father Abraham. How can you talk about Abraham? He's been dead a long time. You're not even 50. How can you say our father like he's alive? And Jesus said this, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, before he was even born, before he was even Abraham, I'm there right now. I am. And I'm here right now. I'm in the future right now. He doesn't live in time. He lives outside of the box of time. But he says, I'm the Alpha. and I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the one that started even time. And I'm the end of time. And then he says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. If you're thirsty, I'll give you drink. If you're thirsty, I'll give you water. Another powerful verse. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You become an overcomer, you inherit everything. Heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, it says in Romans 8 chapter. Inherit all things. But the here's a verse, and I don't understand this one either. We are now stepping beyond the thousand year period. We're now beginning to step into eternity or whatever the time is. And he says this, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, abominable, like abominable snowman, I guess, (laughs) murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the part that shakes me up. We believe, I believe, in restoration. How, when, 
Where? I don't know. It's in God's hands. All I can tell you is we're already in the 21st chapter here and outside are a whole bunch of people that are locked out. And I don't want to be a part of it. You don't want to be a part of it. There's a place where you do pay for your sins if your sins aren't forgiven. And when I look at this list, and not to get scared about it, he says, you know, we can he lists, lists murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. But he also lists cowardly, <laughs> unbelieving. He lists those things too. Then he goes on to say, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked to me, saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now they're going to see the, that the bride, the lamb's wife. And, and what I want to just touch on just quick, briefly is one of the things in what we call this move of the Spirit that's been a hallmark, if you will. We believe in apostolic ministry, an apostolic covering, if you will, that God raises up apostolic ministry as He did from day one. Jesus assigned in the very beginning. He stayed up all night long. He prayed all night long until the Lord revealed to Him the twelve apostles. The next day He picked the twelve apostles. Those twelve, if you actually look at the New Testament, by some accounts, there could be up to 23 apostles named, other men that were apostles. Jesus never said there were ne- that there were only 12 apostles, but He started with the 12. And with that 12, the number 12 infers, it speaks of apostolic authority. The 12, the 12, the 12. The number 12 speaks of apostolic authority. How important is, and I don't know how this works, how important is this apostolic authority in the kingdom of God? Jesus told the, the apostles, you're going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the children of Israel in the kingdom of God. Talk about apostolic authority. And now we're going to get into looking at the lamb and the bride and this, this temple. And, and I'm going to read to you quickly. Look how many times the word 12 is used. Verse 12. Uh, also, she had a great wall and a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. That equals 12. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And it goes on and on and on. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. Verse 21, that 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was a one pearl. It goes on and on. Verse 22. And it's all no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And, and then talks about all the nations bringing the glory into it. For, uh, chapter 22 now. Show me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, crystal proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was a tree of life. Which bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. There's twelve months. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and a servant shall serve Him. They shall see His face, His name shall be on their forehead. There shall be no night there, there shall be no need for lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then He said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angels to show His servants the things which must shortly come to place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words and the prophecy of this book. Verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments. 
that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. But outsides are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, <coughs> whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let who, him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, whoever desires, let him take the, take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And in closing, I'd just like to say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I just read to you was lengthy. This is what Jesus said to pray for. When we pray for His kingdom to come, it's not just a metaphor or like a Hallmark card greeting. We're praying for a literal, literal kingdom to come and to be set up and established on the earth. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.